Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. And we are live on tape from Dublin. This time around, we are going to talk about songs that feature the Beatles, but not as players or performers. These are songs that feature the Beatles as an inspiration, as a topic, um, songs where the Beatles play a part in what the song is about. So it's a bit of a wide-ranging topic, and it, it covers a, a lot of different uh, different bases. Um, but Stephen, you know, it, it kind of lends itself to the cultural phenomenon that was the Beatles, doesn't it? It does. I mean, I think uh, they, they have had such an influence uh, right across uh, the musical sphere, uh, TV, media. Um, and and it really that uh, cultural impact dates almost from day one. Mm. And uh, here we are sort of 50, 60 years later, still people are writing songs and uh, making films about the Beatles. Absolutely. Okay, well, if we do go back to the start, you know, uh, when the Beatles started, rock music was still, uh, you know, a young genre. Uh, I think the Beatles might have been seen as a novelty. So the first songs that we kind of hit upon are novelties themselves, aren't they? Yes. So this this is a, a whole sort of genre in itself. And I mean, we don't, I suppose, have novelty songs. Now, I know you're a weird Al Yankovic <laughs> fan. He's a law unto himself. He's a law unto himself. But but back in, in, in the late 50s, early 60s, these, these kind of novelty songs uh, were, were quite the thing. Uh, George Martin was, uh, as a producer, um, was involved in some of these with the Goons and uh, Bernard Cribbins and, and, mm-hmm. and that type of thing. Um, so the Beatles as a, as a sort of phenomenon really emerge in, in 1963 and, uh, uh, you know, as a singles act and as an albums act. And the first real sort of uh, novelty song that, that, that makes a mark in the UK is uh, Christmas. Mm-hmm. Song always good uh, to have a novelty song. Christmas, bring your novelties together. Bring your novelties together <laughs> by uh, 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 an English actress called Dora Bryan. Okay, uh, so I'm not sure if people will know who that is, but she was a character actress from the late fifties, early sixties, um, mm-hmm. working in that sort of uh, Ealing carry on uh, uh, genre of of film. So she she was approached uh, by her record company saying, you know, we'd like you to uh, uh, we'd like you to do a song. We'd like you to do something about the Beatles. So uh, she came up with the song uh, "All I Want for Christmas Is a Beetle." Yes, and uh, now this was this was Christmas 1963. So already by Christmas 1963, yeah. they are sufficiently famous. They are uh, a sufficiently uh, well-known mm. brand uh, that people can write 
songs about them, can write yeah. parody songs about them. And it was a it was a hit. Yeah, Christmas 63, you know, you have British Beatlemania, as Billy Joel might say, yeah. but you haven't had American Beatlemania yet. So, yeah. But they are a huge cultural currency in the, the UK by Christmas 63. They are. And to say this is a hit. Yeah. Uh, she appeared on Top of the Pops. <laughs> uh, I think it was uh, Melody Maker said it is the best bad record in 1963. Okay. Uh, high so praise. High praise. Uh, the Beatles liked it. Okay. Uh, McCartney said, you know, at the time, yeah, it's great. We like it. And uh, <laughs> if you uh, listen to the Christmas records, the fan club records, they actually sing a little snippet. Oh, right. I hadn't so, twigged that. That's on the, which, that 63 would be 64, or 64? I think, 64. Right. Very good. Um, and then when you tip into 64, you know, we get into, you know, the North American kind of tribute yeah. records. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've had their first uh, hit there. Uh, they appeared on the Ed Sullivan show. Um there are various songs. There's a lot uh, of them. There's a lot. I mean, mm. there are a lot. Mm. Um, you, you know, couldn't possibly go through them all. But uh, one of the most interesting ones is uh, by Harry Nilsson. Mm. Uh, and lots of Beatles connections there later on in, in his career and in the Beatles career. We have penciled in a Harry Nilsson podcast for some point in the future, because if you're a Beatles fan, you tend to be a Harry Nilsson fan. So yeah. we will dedicate a whole show to Harry at some point. So this is, this is a song that came out uh, in 1964. It was called All for the Beatles, okay. although it had an alternative title called Stand Up and Holler. Yes. Uh, the interesting thing about this is it was packaged with uh, some 8mm film. Mm. So you bought the single, you got a little reel of 8mm uh, film, which was taken from the early uh, Carnegie Hall and Washington Coliseum concerts. And the idea was that you could sync up if yes. you had the technology, <laughs> uh, the, the the film and the record. The record itself is a, a sort of Bo Diddley. So it actually sounds more like the Stones yes. than, than, than uh, a Beatles the Beatles. Uh, it's, so it's not a Beatles pastiche or a Beatles parody. It's a sort of British invasion mm -hmm. uh, reference. Um, it wasn't a hit. Uh, I can't imagine anyone really had the technology to do those things. So it was re it was a novelty in the truest sense. Um, I do believe some modern day scientists have put it up on YouTube. It is it it, it it is on on YouTube. But if you find one of these, mm -hmm. uh, worth picking up. How much? Uh, well, I I don't know off the top of my head, but I I think on eBay they were going for three or four hundred dollars. Oh, okay. That was a, f a while ago. Okay, fair enough. So worth having. Worth right. having. Did any of these uh, songs break through? Any of these novelty Beatles songs at the time? Um, one of the songs that did sort of break through uh, uh, was a song called We Love You Beatles by the Carefrees, mm. which was uh, We Love You Beatles, Oh Yes We Do, which became a, <laughs> became a chant okay. uh, only in America. So uh, you don't get that from the, the Beatles, but if you listen to the crowd scenes outside their hotels and them landing at airports, this is a chant that was taken up. So which um, came first, the chant or the song? No, I think the song, I okay. think the song came... Uh, first, uh, it got to number 39 on the Billboard uh, charts, okay. uh, didn't chart in the UK. Um, and as I say, this became, uh, it incorporated little bits of uh, vocal refrains from uh, She Loves You. Yes. So, but this became the American fans go-to song. Okay. And there was a Ringo chant as well, wasn't there? There was a Ringo uh, chant, a Ringo song. Uh, this is uh, Ringo for President. Okay. So 1964, this came out, this was by the Young World Singers. <laughs> and uh, the, this actually sort of 
had legs in the sense that it came out as a song. Mm. Uh, there was a little bit of chart success, but actually it was picked up um, by the fans who went to the uh, U.S. presidential elections, the Democratic campaign, oh, yes, the Republican, sorry, the Republican uh, convention in California. Right. And uh, with Ringo was a, a possible, nom- candidate. possible candidate nominated from the floor. He wasn't born in the USA. That would have been a no, slight limiting I, factor. I his think foreign I, policy is very rough. I think uh, they hadn't really thought it through fully. But they, uh, <laughs> the, no. the interesting thing, and I, I don't know whether this is available or people have this mm-hmm. secretly hidden away and don't <laughs> want to talk about it, covered by Rolf Harris. Well, you know, Ron Farris pops up occasionally in the Beatles story. We might just move on. Um, the other song that I've just come to mind, actually, and it's not on my list in front of me, but it's Freddie Lennon's song, uh, That's My Life, which is John's estranged father reappears and puts out a novelty single. Yes. Does that kind of count? It kind of counts. Did it storm the charts? Oh, gosh, no, it didn't. I mean, <laughs> what's interesting is none of these novelty songs are remembered today. I, like, the, the ones you're telling me about no. are kind of news to me. And yeah. I, I, don't I, think, I think the only one that I really knew about was uh, All I Want for Christmas is Beatles. I suspect that's because it's on one of the fan, fan club Yeah, discs. yeah. I mean, so as you move through the 60s, you kind of, you know, the, the Beatles become a more serious cultural proposition. And one of my favourite songs from the 60s is uh, by one of my favourite groups from the 60s, The Monkees, Randy Skowskit. So I want to talk about this song for a few minutes. Um, because Randy Skowskit was a, a Monkees hit in 1967 and it's infused by... Uh, you know, their experience with the Beatles in that year. And it's a song that name checks the Beatles. So I'm assuming we all know who the Monkees are, but the Monkees story happens so fast within a decade of pop music that had a lot of fast things happening in it already. The Monkees TV series starts in September 1966 and it's finished 18 months later. It's not a very long thing that hangs around. There's another year of a movie and a TV special, but we're really talking about a core 18 months of monkey activity. And particularly in the UK, the Monkees, their year is 1967. The show starts on US TV in September 66, but it's actually the 1st of January 1967, Saturday evening, Tea Time TV, the Monkees appear on UK television. And this is probably when the Monkees first enter the Beatles consciousness, because the Beatles have been wrapped up in the studio for a couple of weeks at that point. And what's interesting about the relationship between the Monkees and the Beatles is that the Beatles were quite welcoming to the group. You know, we don't really have any sense about how the Beatles got on with the Kinks or Herman's Hermits or any of that kind of stuff. But we have a lot of evidence that the Beatles were very welcoming to the Monkees once they landed. I think they realised that they were simultaneously not a threat, but they had their own characteristics. John Lennon compared them to the Marx Brothers. But the Monkees happened very, very fast. And in 1967, they put out three albums... As I said, they started on January the 1st on BBC TV and six weeks later they're on the cover of the BBC's Radio Times listings magazines and they're over in London doing promo. And Mickey Dolenz from The Monkees spends a couple of days in their orbit. He hangs out at the recording session for Good Morning, Good Morning. He meets the woman who goes on to be his uh, first wife. And Michael Nesmith is in London at the same time. And you can see him in the video for A Day in the Life. He's one of the many celebrities who are hanging around in the studio when A Day in the Life is being recorded. And Mickey Dolenz trying to make sense of all of this happening to him in February, having been essentially not famous six months earlier and now being a a, a friend and a pal of the Beatles who are bringing them off to the speakeasy and other London nightclubs, uh, returns 
back to the US and writes a song called Randy Scouse Git based on a phrase he hears, he hears on the TV show uh, Till Death Do Us Part. And the reference to the Beatles in the song is the four kings of VMI are sitting stately on the floor, which is the Beatles themselves. And, you know, it really is a, a great spirit of 67 trip, you know. What, what do you feel about the song? Yeah, no, it, it, it's a song. Uh, I really like the song. Uh, the, the reference is uh, quite oblique, mm. but clearly there. Um, I think you're right about the Beatles the welcoming, or at least not feeling threatened by the monkeys. And they, they, they do seem to have that kind of relationship more with American groups. So yeah. the birds, they were sort of great champions of the birds, uh, but you would think they would be a, a, a chart rival. Yeah. Uh, the monkeys as well. I think at this stage, the Beatles are becoming an albums band. You know, they're working on Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. That's their big album from 67. Yep. Uh, the monkeys are very much a, uh, a sort of teen phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, my take on Pepper is really always that that's the high watermark of the Beatles sort of cross generational appeal up to that point. You know, the mums, the dads, the kids, the grannies, the, everybody, there's something there for the Beatles after Strawberry Fields, Sgt. Yeah. Pepper. The Beatles are starting to get a little bit odd. It was, as, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was the timing of the monkeys is yeah. fascinating because they didn't know the Beatles were going to go this way and they didn't realize that eight year olds were going to want something new, but that's yeah. just happened to be where they this went. This is it. I mean, the, the Beatles output is they're, they're bringing their audience with them, yep. but they're not bringing the eight and 10 year olds. Yes. Uh, so I think we've mentioned before. Uh, you know, four number one albums in uh, in 1967, uh, Sgt. Pepper, mm-hmm. Val Dunigan, The Monkees, more of The Monkees. Yeah. And 1967 is such a fast year. The Monkees put out three albums in 67, more of The Monkees, Headquarters and Pisces, Capricorn, Aquarius and Jones. And if you look at those three album covers in a row, they basically tell you the story of 1967. You go from clean cut popsters through to, you know, mismatched, misdressed pop stars sticking their tongue out and then the last one is kind of this airy-fairy drug cartoon-looking cover. Um, uh, you know, Mickey Delenz takes this trip uh, to the London in February. He records the song with the f- three other monkeys and their producer Chip Douglas in March and it's a, a top 10 single in the UK under the name Alternate Title because you couldn't have Randy in a Scouse title by May. So things were moving very, very fast. They played Wembley that summer, but by the following Easter, Easter 68, Monkey Mania is kind of over in England. You know, the TV show goes off the air and it's such a a fast, uh, fast happening. One other Beatles connection that's worth noting between the Monkeys and the Beatles was that in their final ever episode of the Monkeys, which is an episode called the Frodis Caper, um, Mickey Dolenz directs the episode and it opens with uh, a record playing Good Morning, Good Morning off Sgt. Pepper, a very rare occurrence of a Beatles song being in a television show. And it's a reference to Mickey Dolenz being in the studio when he heard Good Morning, Good Morning uh, being recorded. And uh, there's some other nods to the Beatles within that episode itself. So a nice kind of... Uh, a nice kind of reminiscence or a nice kind of uh, time capsule of a very specific time in 1967. And don't forget, Michael Nesmith is in the Magical Mystery Tour booklet, as we mentioned before. So a lot to go on there. Um, You then talk about in 1968, we kind of get into um, Two Virgins territory. And there's some music that is made in response to that. Yes. So uh, Two Virgins is the first solo album that uh, John and Yoko make. Um, I'm not sure how many people will have listened to it all the way through. I think I've listened to it all the way through 
once. That's one more time than me, possibly. Uh, it's so famous it's, for its cover. Most it's of them, famous you know? for its cover. It's 15, 16 minutes of nonsense. Uh, but the cover is a full frontal picture of John and Yoko. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much so that... And the rear cover is a rear... A rear. Frontal. Uh, frontal. <laughs> um, so uh, to the extent that this, uh, you know, copies of this album were being seized uh, as they were being imported into the States because sort of they were obscene, uh, it was uh, released in a brown paper mm-hmm. sleeve. So it was extremely controversial. This was 1968. So you've got to think this is only four years after Ed Sullivan. Yeah. Suddenly, uh, you know, John's letting it all hang out on, on an album cover. So uh, one of the, 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 the sort of most interesting responses to this was a song called uh, John, You Went Too Far This Time, um, <laughs> which was by a band or by a singer called Rainbow. And mm-hmm. being hippie, you just leave the W uh, off the oh, end of that. Right. So it's, it's Rainbow, like, Ram- like Rambo. Rambo. Right. It's a kind of Rambo. <laughs> okay. Um, but the the the, uh, the interesting thing is, uh, this is a terrible song, by the way. Uh, it, it's available on YouTube, and again, we put up some links. But uh, the singer is actually uh, Sissy Spacek. Oh yes. So uh, she, at that stage, was uh, hanging around in New York, uh, you know, hanging out with Andy Warhol and that sort of thing, um, trying to get, get to get get somewhere, trying mm. to get started. She was obviously trying to be a songwriter at that stage rather than be being an actress. So she um, wrote the song. She she didn't write the song. Okay. So um, uh, clearly her management sort of said, well, look, I think this would be, this, this, this is a great opportunity, novelty song. What could possibly not uh, launch you? That's going to. So she wrote the B-side, which I've never heard, okay. but, um, you know, all those sales must have given her some loyalties. <laughs> um, but it's an absolutely terrible song. And it's written from the point of view of a fan where they're saying, I, everything you ask of me, I did it. You know, from holding hands to living in a submarine. Oh, yeah. I don't know if she actually did live in a submarine at that she stage, but, have. you know. Um, and now, look at this. You're this naked. Is, but you're naked. This is, this is uh, you turned me on with Pepper, I loved you when we both wore flowers, but frankly, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is a step too far. And I guess that leads to a chorus of, John, you've gone you've too gone far. You've gone too far. I love you, but you went too far this time. (laughs) Wow. And as you say, not a hit, surprisingly. Not a hit. Although the interesting, my favourite lyric is, uh, now I gaze in awe before that picture of my mind retires to the place it was before you came. I love the things you showed me up to now. Uh, But since that picture, I don't think my love will be the same. So it's referring directly to the picture. It's referring directly to the picture. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Well, that's one to to seek out. <laughs> so that's that comes out in uh, sixty eight, sixty nine. Yeah. Okay. When we get to the end of sixty nine, we get to the next song. I think is worth talking about, which is a song called "Girl at the Window" by the Idol Race. And here's where we raise the curtain on everyone's favorite Jeff Lynne. Yeah. Yeah. The fifth Beatle. Now, I'm chances are you all know who Jeff Lynne is. Founder member of ELO, lead songwriter, producer, guitarist, and vocalist for ELO for all those years. And um, once ELO wound down in the mid '80s, he became producer to the stars, particularly to George Harrison on his comeback, Cloud Nine. He was one of the Travelling Wilburys and eventually he achieved the ultimate accolade of producing the Beatles uh, anthology reunion singles Free as a Bird and Real Love, which everyone loves. And But back in the late 60s, he uh, was a musician from Birmingham. And the he, first... He was a musician? He still is a musician. <laughs> and uh, the first band he was in that got a record contract was a band called The Idle Race. And The Idle Race made... 
two albums with Jeff in the band. The first album was called The Birthday Party in 1968 and it's kind of a nice kind of whimsical psychedelic, uh, you know, songs about roundabouts and skeletons and all the rest on it. The second album was called The Idol Race and it came out in November 1969 and it features a song called Girl at the Window. Now, it's interesting that even in these early days, you know, Jeff says he was a great Beatles fan and he gives the story of when the Idol Race were a young band knocking around London. They decided to go over to Abbey Road one day and pretend that they were, uh, you know, recording there, which they weren't. And Jeff and I don't know how many other members of the band managed to get in, but they sat in for a brief period of time on a Beatles White Album recording session. And Jeff says it was just the most amazing thing ever. He would have been about 20 years old at the time. And he describes, and Jeff is not the most uh, emotional man in interviews, but he says he didn't sleep for three days once he saw the Beatles. And it's interesting that from that little seed, years later, he is, you know, taking his picture as the fourth Beatle in the recording (laughs) sessions for free as a bird. But the reason why I think Girl at the Window is worth mentioning is two things. First of all, it has a lyric in it where it mentions John and Paul and Ringo and George. So I'll read the whole thing. John and Paul and Ringo and George were playing lovely tunes from the window of her room by the light of the moon. So In he, June. In June. So he's rhymed tunes <laughs> with rooms and moon. Um, he's obviously trying to write. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A very gentle, melodic song. But here's the thing that I find interesting. It mentions the Beatles, which is you know, quite a niche thing to do by November 1969. But then the middle eight as what I think is the greatest foreshadowing in the history of pop, because the lyrics of the middle eight are, One night her mother said, I think it's time for bed. The little girl crept down the stairs, free as a bird. Wow. wow. Imagine that. Jeff Lynn mentions the Beatles, mentions free as a bird, only 26 odd years before he produces that very same track. So the rhyme there is, uh, <laughs> said, bed, stairs, bird. Yes. And the first rhyme is George Tunes, Room and Moon. Yeah. So um, he went on to better things. He, went he on did. To writing. I'm, I'm, I'm taking uh, offence that it's John, Paul, Ringo and George. John, yeah, but you know, that's, that's how I say it. Isn't John, that how everyone says John, it? John, Paul, George and Ringo. <laughs> I think you say George, George, George and Ringo. Yeah. So that's how you like to put it out. So it's, uh, it's a very sweet, melodic song. It's very slight and uh, Jeff Lynne soon left the idle race to go off to um, the knows, move. Who knows where? <laughs> where is he now? Where is he now? He's probably... He was never heard from again. He's jumping into a swimming pool of money like that... Um, like uh, Huey Dewey and Louis's uncle. <laughs> um, so, uh, so then we kind of tip off into the 70s. I, I, I've, I don't really... Do you have anything for the 70s? Um, no, I think this is the point at which the Beatles start to sort of recede. 
Yeah. Um, you know, there's that brief period, sort of 70, 71, 72, 73, mm. uh, where they're all having hits. Yes. Uh, Ringo is kind of outselling John, you know, but the, uh, they're still there. Yeah. But then after 73... I'll give you this. It's really Paul is the only one that's still uh, chart bound. Um, so the Beatles are, are kind of receding uh, as a cultural yeah. force and, and they become, I think, a, a kind of shorthand for something old, something yes. in the past. And there were three songs that kind of popped into my mind when I thought about the 70s. And the, yeah, they're all kind of songs that uh, are a bit dismissive about mentioning the Beatles or they kind of mention them as... I'm always amused by this notion that once the Beatles were finished, everyone thought another Beatles yeah. was going to come along. That, well, they're gone now. And the only thing that was stopping another group being like the Beatles was the fact that we had a Beatles already, uh, as opposed to the notion that perhaps there's only one Beatles. But there's three songs that kind of pop, pop into mind that come from the 70s. One is All the Young Dudes, mm -hmm. written by David Bowie, given to Mott the Hoople. And that says, you know, sisters at home with her Beatles and her stones, you know, very dismissive, yeah. sort of saying, well, you know, we, so, we are the new breed, but yeah, this is the that's old the breed. the old generation. That's your older sister. She's still hung up on these groups. This, yeah, we're, we're, we're the new guys. Yeah. Yeah. The second one that comes to mind is uh, Billy Joel has this song that nobody remembers called All She Wants to Do is Dance from his Turnstiles albums. And he's basically talking about this. I think the, the notion is this person isn't particularly heavy. You know, they just want to dance. They're just very yeah. light and frothy. And one of the problems that this um, person has in this Billy Joel song is she asks, when are the Beatles going to get back together? Yeah, and it, it, it's it, a sure it, sign of something. It, it's well, it, it sort of clangs in the song because you know you kind of want pop music to sometimes have a an Esperanto quality to it, a universal language. And if you mention something real like that, it's like you know, it's it's not like Billy to have a clunky lyric. Uh, now listen, we won't have uh, any any bad words about <laughs> Billy. Well, maybe we will. Um, and then the third song, and again, it's in this dismissive tone, is the Clash's "London Calling." Is it in a well, dismissive tone? Okay, convince me otherwise. Well, I... I, I you know, the lyric I, in question is, phony Beatlemania has bitten the dust. Yeah. And so what do you think that means? I, I remember this coming out. I'm old enough to remember it at the time. <laughs> and it is um, from the 70s. People. It is from the 70s, yeah. uh, the 1970s. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I actually thought this was more a comment on the period between the Beatles splitting up and The Clash arriving, where you had had bands like, you know, uh, you know, the Bay City Rollers, you've got T-Rex, right. you've had phony Beatlemania. Uh -huh. So I always read that or heard that as being, you know, the Beatles were the real thing, but since then we've had phony Beatlemania. Mm -hmm. That there have been kind of teen sensations yes. that, that everyone, as you say, whether it was, you know, the Osmonds or the City rollers. Everyone's looking for the new, the new Beatles, okay. and we're not going to have it. So that I always, I always read it or heard it in that sense. Okay, that's fair. Enough. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's, it's so, so yeah, it's, it's reflecting on what fan culture meant, and yeah. so that you know the Beatle, Be Beatlemania was true Beatlemania. Yeah. So I that guess. was the original. There was a kind of something authentic back then, and that right. was fine because I mean, the Clash, you know, the Clash really came out of that kind of pub rock. Mm. You, you, you know, it wasn't really punk. It wasn't that kind of scorched earth. They maybe latched on to that a little bit. Uh, yes. You know, I'm, I'm crossing lines are here. You, no, are you a Clash fan? Uh, not particularly. Yeah, they're, they're a kind of classic rock band. Yeah. And I think, you know, a bit like the Stranglers, mm. you know, they, they, they were older than the punk crowd. And I, I think it was a kind of convenient vehicle for them. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think, you know, the, like, like the Stranglers, greatest hits album, fine. 
<laughs> yeah, that's going to get some traction online yeah. if you if you yeah. say that controversy. <laughs> yeah, no, I never thought about that before. That the you know I I, I guess I saw it as phony Beatlemania that all kind of fandom was phony. Yeah. That the Beatles themselves were phony, but it doesn't really add up that way. Um, and then you get into kind of 1980s music. And, uh, you know, we mentioned on our Beatles songs about the Beatles that there, there's a cohort of songs that are related to the death of John Lennon. Yeah. And so you have people writing songs. There's Elton John and Queen put out songs about John Lennon. Um, but there's one song I really wanted to talk about. Let me just check my notes here again and see who it's by. It's uh, by, oh, it's by Jeff Lynne. And it's called ELO Beatles Forever. Are you familiar with ELO Beatles Forever? No. Let me, uh, let me... Let's move on. Let's take everybody uh, on a journey here today about the, the song uh, ELO Beatles Forever. So uh, there is a... It is an unreleased Electric Light Orchestra song and it is written by uh, Jeff Lynne. And it is available on YouTube. And I say this as a Jeff Lynne ELO fan. It is a terrible, terrible song. Well, unreleased, <laughs> unreleased ELO songs are my favourite <laughs> ELO song. I mean, all of them would be unreleased in your universe, Stephen, yes. I'm pretty certain. Um, but it is actually another one of these songs that is born out of the death of John Lennon and, and, and the grief uh, associated to it. So ELO went on a tour in 1981 to support their Time album. And... Uh, Jeff, as part of his response to John's death, started doing a John Lennon tribute medley <laughs> in ELO's live shows, which I'm sure you're sorry you missed. It, 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 I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the songs he would do is he would do Imagine, Nowhere Man, Across the Universe and A Day in the Life, which would... You know, it sound, really sounds too good to be true. A seven or an eight minute medley, which would start, you know, very solemnly on a piano and then there'd be synths and there'd be segues and uh, you know you could argue that it it might not be a million miles away from what a 1981 John Lennon concert is, is, might is, have sounded like. Is this available somewhere? It is available on YouTube. There, there are bootlegs that are up on YouTube for it and you can actually hear on the bootlegs because they're kind of audience recordings. You know, when when it starts with the Imagine chords, everyone goes, oh. And, you know, at the end of it, you know, the audience are, you know, clapping their those, those, are, those are the audience who aren't at the bar. <laughs> who are, who are, who are uh, still in the building. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, I think what Lynn was, Jeff Lynn was trying to do at the time was trying to figure out, you know, what ELO's next trick would be. They'd had this big success and he kind of came off the time tour. I don't think he wanted to tour anymore. He wanted to try and get out of his record contract. He wanted to kind of get out of the band. And uh, so in 1982, he starts working on a double album, which he feels will get him out of his uh, record contract, a double album called Secret Messages. And one of the songs that he puts down is this song, Beatles Forever. Now, Beatles Forever, Jeff tends to write songs about the weather and he tends to write songs <laughs> about uh, women, evil women and sweet talking women and all that kind of stuff. Um but he decides to write a very personal song about his relationship with the Beatles. And it is put on this double album, Secret Messages. The record company say, we don't want a double album. We want a single album. And uh, Beatles Forever disappears almost forever. He, he didn't keep the best song on the album. <laughs> no, he did not. Ah. But what is interesting is that, uh, well, it's interesting if you're me, is that in 2018, uh, they re-released a double album version of Secret Messages. And, and finally, the song gets no, a... No, uh, the one song that they leave off is Beatles Forever. Because even Jeff, given his subsequent Beatles association, must dis must feel that it's not worth unleashing on the world. Or else we, he just feels we're not worthy of... Uh, we just couldn't handle we the couldn't truth. We couldn't handle the truth, man. 
So, yeah, I mean, Jeff normally writes, you know, kind of, you know, in metaphors and kind of, again, this kind of pop Esperanto. So for him to try and write something, you know, clear headed, it's quite gauche. The lyrics go, there's something about a Beatles song that lives forevermore. The beauty of the harmonies, the sound of the Fab Four. All their music will live on and on. John and Paul and George and Ringo, they really thought the world to sing. That's how the song opens. Taught the world to sing. They taught the world oh. to sing. <laughs> yeah, to rhyme with Ringo. Yeah. And then for each chorus, he mentions a list of Beatles songs and uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, All You Need Is Love, and he tries to sing little bits of it. It is not a good song and it deserves to be um, relegated, but it is trying to come from a happy place. I still haven't sold you on that song particularly much. No, you've given me the lyrics. I'm reading, I'm, I'm reading the lyrics here and... Uh, yeah, you rhythm and blues and a pretty tune, rock yeah. and roll eternity that started out as Mersey Beat. Yes, you feel the beat, you got to move your feet, all that kind of stuff. Beatles forever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to leave now and go and <laughs> get onto YouTube. Uh, I feel like. Don't worry, we will, we will put up the, uh, we'll put up the link. But there is an interesting postscript to this. Is that I hope so. In recent weeks, um, my Spotify sent me a song to play, which was called Beatles Forever. And it was by a group called The Minus Five. Do you know The Minus Five? I do not know The Minus Five. The Minus Five are a group I like a lot. Um, they are led by Scott McCaughey and they also feature Peter Buck from R.E.M. When R.E.M. were big and touring the world, uh, Scott McCaughey was the touring guitarist for R.E.M. And now things are the other way around. The Minus Five is Scott's group. Peter Buck is in the group. And they've released a bunch of great records over the years. And uh, they've even uh, released a a concept album about the monkeys, which is well worth listening to, but I digress. Their new single for 2019 is a song called Beatles Forever. And I put this on, hoping it would be a cover cover version. (laughs) Um, But it's not a cover version. It's a whole new song called Beatles Forever. And the story then takes another twist, which is a few weeks ago, a group called Filthy Friends played in Dublin here. They played in a very small venue to about 200 people. And the group Filthy Friends features Scott McCaughey and Peter Buck, along with some other people. And they came out and they chatted to the crowd afterwards. And so like any sane person, I went up to Scott McCaughey and said... Your song Beatles Forever is very good. Do you know the ELO song Beatles Forever? And he was like, no, no, I don't. And I said, oh, and he said, I wrote this new Beatles Forever song because I'd had a stroke. And in recovery from the stroke, all I could think about was the Beatles. And I was like, oh, and I said, well, there's an ELO song that is so bad it's unreleased, but you might want to check it out. And he was like, I'll do that straight away. So I don't know whether he has listened to it since, but there is a 2019 song called Beatles Forever by the Minus Five, which is a good song. And the Minus Five are a good group that are well worth checking out. So you're waiting for Scott to get back in touch. Waiting for Scott to get back in touch on Twitter. And uh, I don't know, he'd be, he'd be the kind of man who should come in and chat to us sometime if ever he's passing through town again. So Beatles Forever, folks, check that out. I'm sure I've whetted your appetite. So then you kind of move forward into the 90s and, you know, like the Beatles writing retrospective songs themselves at that time, you have Britpop, you have some of those songs that reference the Beatles and it's a bit more oblique. Um, I suppose we probably should spend a minute or two talking about Oasis. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel as someone who is very fond of 90s music, uh, I was in college at the time and Britpop and all that kind of stuff, I always feel the main thing that made people compare Oasis to the Beatles was Oasis telling us to compare them to the Beatles all the time. Yes. Uh, Did you ever get an Oasis Beatles... Relationship. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, it's obvious that uh, the whole sort of Britpop came out of the sixties. Mm. Uh, at that stage, Blur were a very different band, you know, than what they became. They were mm. clearly it was the Kinks was the influence there. Um, Oasis, yeah, I mean, it was clearly uh, they were ripping off. 
bands left, right, and centre. <laughs> yes. And uh, you know, there were little bits from riffs from T Rex. There were yeah. things. Um, and uh, particularly with Be Here Now. Oh, yeah, that song All Around the World. All around, which is the kind of Yellow Submarine yes. thing. And at one point, uh, I think it was Noel was saying, this is our Sergeant Pepper. Mm. Uh, and to which one reviewer wrote, this isn't even your Beatles for sale. <laughs> so, yeah, there was definite. Uh, but yeah, because they were drawing the comparison. Yeah, they, they mentioned it a lot. And I mean, I think there's one Beatles song that always makes me think that Oasis took the DNA from, which is Rain, the mm. B-side from Paperback Writer. And if you listen to Rain, Lennon is singing about sunshine Shine, yeah. and, you know, all that, you know, all these kind of, you know, lemonade, sit in the shade, <laughs> which are all very Oasis-y kind of um, rhymes. And yeah, and the guitar sound is, 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 is thick, thick, like yeah. an Oasis guitar sound. Yeah, so I think if, you know, there's enough in a Beatles B-side to sustain an Oasis career and the original name of Oasis was Rain, ah. or certainly Liam Gallagher's band pre-Oasis was called Rain until they, they sorted that out. Um, but another big Oasis hit from the 90s that has a, a, an inbuilt Beatles reference is Don't Look Back in Anger. So it kind of starts by ripping off the piano from Imagine mm-hmm. and then goes into Revolution from My Bed, which is a Beatles... Kind of bed-in reference. It's a mixture between bed-in and Revolution in the yeah. Head, which yeah. was a, a kind of the big Bible, Beatles Bible book that had come out at the time. And uh, I think it's also a reference to the Help charity album, which was uh, Andy McDonald from Go Records you know, came up with that idea in his bed as well. So there's a couple of things going on there. But it's a very, you know, you see the video and it's got uh, Patrick McNee in it and all these other kind of 60s references. They're they're really going for it. Um, but it's still a story, it's still a reference point that comes up to, up to modern times. So, you know, the last song I have on the list here is a song called Black Beatles. Are you aware of the song Black Beatles? This is not a song uh, that I had ever come across. It's not on your playlist. It's not on it's my not, playlist. It hasn't been it? suggested by no. your streaming service. Um, Black Beatles is a song by Reis, Raymond and Gucci Mane. It was a 2016 US number one. It's one of these hip hop songs uh, that, that the kids like. And uh, I'm going to uh, read the uh, the lyrics. <clears throat> uh, I'm a Black Beatles, cream seats in the regal, rocking John Lennon lenses, like to see him spread eagle. I, I think that's a golf reference. I see. Possibly. I'm not sure. Um, but what's interesting about this song is that you know, hip hop, which as a music, uh, you know, often is about bragging rights, claiming yeah. it's using the Beatles as a signifier of excellence, as best in class. Yes. Yes. I think I can get that from the, the lyric. <laughs> that's, that's what he's trying to say. I mean, the interesting thing about Black Beatles is, you know, here you have a number one song in the pervasive genre of our time, you know, referencing, you know, a group from 50 years earlier. There are no other songs that are saying, you know, hey, I want to mow my lawn like the kinks or something like that. No. It's just not happening. Um, the interesting spin-off from the Black Beatles sing- single was this thing called the Mannequin Challenge. And uh, the Mannequin Challenge was a viral video that happened at the time. So Black Beatles had its own video, but there were some college students um, a couple of uh, weeks and months after the song had become a hit who recorded this viral video of them all standing stock still while the Black Beatles song played in the background. And the, it became this viral video game of who could make the longest, most intricate video of people standing still, almost like a, a scene from The Matrix where mm. a camera would move a, a, around. And who eventually ended up making one of these mannequin challenge videos? Jeff Lynne. You wish. None other than Paul McCartney. Oh, never won. That was my second guess. <laughs> never won to miss an opportunity to prove his... Uh, his pop uh, credentials. His pop credentials with the, the kids. Um, 
the uh, Paul made one of these mannequin challenge videos in his own MPL offices in Soho Square. So he's literally just standing stock still and the camera's moving around him and, you know, he knows what he's doing. It's a very short thing, but it's quite, it's still quite a thing that... Do you think one of one of his assistants came to him and said, Paul, this is a thing. Well, you know, he, there's no doubting his antenna for this kind yeah. of stuff. What stuff is guff? What stuff isn't guff? When he should do this kind of thing? When he when know, I should sue? Yeah, when he when he should when when's the right time to do a carpool karaoke? When's <sighs> not? You know, I mean, he, you know, he, he he does still have the smarts for for doing the uh, the things that matter. So um, so yeah, we can we can put up a post to Paul McCartney doing the mannequin challenge along to the the Black Beatles. Black Beatles. And there's one other song that I noticed recently from the Beyonce and Jay-Z album. There's a song, <clears throat> pardon my French, called Ape Shit, which is a very good song. And um, uh, Jay-Z is even rapping about how he, uh, I'm going to change some of the lyrics here. Last night was a flippin' zoo, stage diving <laughs> in a pool of people, ran through Liverpool like a flippin' beetle. Have you ever seen a, the crowd going ape shit? Uh, so once again, using the Beatles as a signifier of best in class, it's the best in fame, it's something to aspire to. Um, that's a pretty long shadow that they've cast over the last 50 odd years. So that's a, a leisurely saunter through some of the songs in the last 50 years that have mentioned the Beatles, have been inspired by the Beatles. It's a bit of a fun look at some of these things. We'll put together a playlist of what we can, although unfortunately Beatles Forever won't be on it since it's still contraband. Uh, and we'll circulate it to it. So if you've got any other ideas or references or songs uh, that you think you know fit this mould, uh, let us know. Send them to us. and maybe yeah, we'll, we'll add them to the playlist. We'll add them to the playlist and uh, you know maybe there'll be some other songs to, to talk about another day. So so yes, uh, send those suggestions to us. We're available in all the usual places. Um, we're on Twitter at Beatles Pod. Just search for us on Facebook under Nothing Is Real Podcast. And uh, until the next time, I'm Jason Carty. I'm Stephen Cockcroft, and this has been Nothing Is Real. Thank you for listening. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.